is our last Bible study for this year, and so I want to conclude our uh, little mini-series on the return of Christ tonight as uh, we look forward to his return. I want to talk about seven commitments that every believer must make uh, about the coming of Christ, and uh, as well, these seven commitments apply to the, the next year, to 2019. So these are seven commitments that we need to make as believers in anticipation of the, of the return of Christ. And then these are also commitments we need to make about the coming year. And how many of you expect good things next year? Amen. 2019 will be a good year. It's going to be a blessed year just as God has always been faithful to us and made this year blessed. So we're going to see his hand at work. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things unto himself. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for the opportunity that we have had to be in your house. We thank you especially for the presence of the Holy Spirit among us. I ask tonight that you would anoint my lips of clay to teach your word, and that you would anoint the hearing of this congregation, that as we hear your word, it might be fruitful in every one of our lives. We ask that in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. amen. How many of you believe Jesus came? Amen. How many of you believe Jesus is coming back? The Bible gives us an extraordinary promise. As we saw last week, Jesus promised. He said, I am going away, but I will come again, and I will receive you to myself. So tonight, I want you to look at, just briefly and quickly with me, the differences between the first and the second coming of Christ, because uh, they are uh, interesting to observe and to see what his first coming intended to do and what his second coming will achieve and what it intends to do. In the first coming, we see that there is a historical fact. Jesus came to the earth. God's Son became a man. The Bible said the Word, the Logos, became flesh and dwelt among us. En la primera venida del Señor Jesucristo, vemos el hecho histórico de que el Hijo de Dios se encarnó y vino a la tierra. God walked among men. That's why we celebrate Christmas. Because God came to walk among men and live among men. But Christmas is also a good time to remember that just like he came, he's coming again. And he's going to come back in the same way. It's going to be a historical reality. And Jesus is coming back physically to the earth. Uh, en su segunda venida, él igualmente vendrá históricamente y vendrá uh, en la realidad de su humanidad. Some people believe that the second coming is a spiritual thing. Algunos piensan que la segunda venida o la venida del Señor es algo espiritual. And don't get me wrong, it will be absolutely a spiritual thing. But it is a physical thing as well. La venida del Señor es espiritual, pero de igualmente, igual manera, es física. If, uh, the, if the coming of Christ is only spiritual, then you have no real confidence whether he's come, coming, or will come. Some say he already came. Some say he came in 1918. And uh, there's certain religions built on that. There's others who say he came to Joseph Smith. 
in the 1800s. There's others who have uh, who said uh, that he was already here through the uh, church and so on. I want you to. I don't want you to be confused about this. Jesus is coming back, literally and physically, to the earth. No quiero que usted esté confundido como algunos que dicen no ya vino vino espiritualmente él está aquí en la presencia de la iglesia. No esté confundido. La venida del Señor será literal y será física y usted y yo lo vamos a ver. We're going to see Jesus. I got one amen. I said we're going to see Jesus. And uh, when we see him, we're going to see him as a man. When you and I stand before Jesus, we're going to be standing before a human being. A man who is God in human flesh. In his first coming, he came as a baby. In his second coming, he's coming as a man to rule. In his first coming, he came to die to pay for the penalty of sin. In his second coming, he is going to bring judgment to the nations. En su primer venida, él vino como un bebé nacido en Belén. En su segunda venida, vendrá como varón, hombre, para reinar. En su primer venida, vino a ser juzgado por el pecado del hombre. En su segunda venida, vendrá a juzgar a las naciones. Now listen, his first coming, he came to be judged for our sins. In his second coming, he's coming to judge. And he's going to judge the nations, the Bible says, which he will rule with a rod of iron. In his first coming, he came to save sinners. En su primer venida, vino a ser el salvador del pecador. In his second coming, he's coming to be king of kings and lord of lords. Somebody say amen. amen. En su segunda venida, él vendrá a ser rey de reyes y señor de señores. In his first coming, he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. How many remember that? That's part of the Easter story. In his second coming, he's coming on a white horse. There's a difference there because in his first coming he came lowly and meek. But in his second coming he's coming with authority and power. And he's coming on a white horse. And guess what? All of the saints of the ages are coming with him. All right. And you're going to be riding a horse alongside of Jesus. Uh, you know, that's one of the great joys that comes to my life when I think about the hermanas from church riding those horses. I think we're going to, that's going to be fun, isn't it, when we see when we see all of you who've never been on a horse riding on that white horse. But Jesus is going to be leading that parade, and he's coming as a warrior uh, in order to reign and rule upon the earth. In his first coming, Jesus came to bring peace to the human heart. In his second coming, Jesus is going to bring peace to the entire world. Jesus is going to establish his kingdom, not just in our hearts, but in the world. And the world is going to have and a government run by Jesus Christ. Won't that be exciting when all of the governments that, uh, of this world that have failed us are put aside and we have one ruler, one king, one Lord, and it's Jesus sitting on the throne of David from the city of Jerusalem. So today we have his peace reigning in our hearts, but then we'll have his peace reigning over all of the world. In his first coming, he was rejected by the Jewish people. But in his second coming, he will be received by the Jewish people. There's coming a revival to the Jewish nation in which they're going to come uh, to worship and to acknowledge Jesus Christ as their Messiah. So these differences are interesting for us to look at and significant for us to understand that his first coming was a little bit like a stealth, uh, quiet approach. He came in under the radar and many people didn't realize he had come. 
when he comes back, nobody will be able to miss it. All right? Uh, a lot of people missed it the first time, but when he comes back, no one will be able to miss it. And so the question we need to be asking tonight, there's two questions we're going to ask tonight. First is, what's next? And then we're going to ask, what now? All right, everybody say, what's next? And then say, what now? All right, what's next? What are we looking for as the body of Christ? What is the sign? What is the message? What is it that's next on God's calendar for us? And for the world, for that matter. ¿Qué sigue? Es la primera pregunta que vamos a preguntar esta noche. ¿Qué sigue? Y luego vamos a hacer la pregunta, ¿y uh, ahora qué? So, primero, ¿qué sigue? First, what's next? We read here in Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 that our citizenship is from heaven from which we eagerly await a savior for the Lord Jesus Christ dice aquí uh, Filipenses capítulo 3 verso 20 que nuestra ciudadanía es del cielo so let me just inform you tonight if you are a believer in Jesus Christ you've made a commitment of your life to follow Jesus you are a citizen of heaven and that is greater than being a citizen of the United States. I'm glad I'm a citizen of the United States. I've been to about 35 countries around the world. There's not another one I'd want to go to except the United States to live. But there is a country that you and I belong to that is greater than the, the United States of America. The United States of America is only a few more years uh, old than 200. And so it's not been around that long. And it won't be around forever. I hope it's around a lot longer and that you and I are living in it uh, in a blessed nation until the day God calls us home or Jesus comes. But America doesn't have the guarantee of being around forever. However, there is a country you and I belong to. And there is a, a kingdom that you and I belong to that has existed from eternity and it, it will exist into eternity. It is the kingdom of God and of his son, Jesus Christ. And that kingdom has made you and I citizens because you put faith in Jesus as your Savior. So I want you to say that tonight. I am a citizen of heaven. Usted es un ciudadano, dice la escritura, del cielo. Entonces usted, uh, si es ciudadano americano, esos grandes, esos buenos, pero no hay mayor cosa que ser ciudadano del reino de Dios. Es ser ciudadano del cielo. Here's the thing. Every pilgrim, pardon, every citizen in a foreign land, wants to go home. El peregrino en una tierra ajena tiene la distintiva de que él quiere regresar a casa. And so if you are a citizen of heaven, that, is, that means that in your heart there's one thing that you know for sure. I want to go home someday. How many of you want to go home? Not just yet, Pastor, right? Not right now, not tonight, but I do want to go home. Guess what? When you and I die... In a long time from now, when you and I go to heaven, uh, we're going to our home. We're going to the place of our citizenship. Now, if you die without Christ, you're not a citizen of heaven. And you can't go home. And that means you're going to die eternally separated from God. But tonight, if you, if you want to be a citizen of heaven, you can become a citizen of heaven by simply putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Asking God to, to give you the forgiveness of your sins and receiving Christ in your heart. And immediately you become a citizen of heaven. 
You don't have to go through any immigration paperwork. You don't have to go through any immigration process. You don't need an immigration lawyer. You don't have to raise your right hand and swear. You don't have to know the preamble of the Constitution. You don't have to know the Pledge of Allegiance. All you need to know is Jesus is my Savior. And if Jesus is your Savior, then you are a citizen of heaven. Say amen, somebody. And we're going home. Now, for a while, that home is going to be in heaven. But for the rest of eternity... Our home is going to be right here on the earth because the kingdom of God is going to be established right here on the earth. So what's next, Pastor? Well, what's next is when the saints are called home. The Bible calls that the rapture. Uh, well, we call that the, um, the rapture of the church. So lo que sigue es el rapto de la iglesia. Ese es cuando el, la ciudadanía del reino de Dios va a ser llamada a la presencia de Dios. In the rapture of the church, we read about it right here in verse 21, that Jesus is coming and he's going to transform the bodies of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power which he has to subject all things unto himself. Now, I want you just to get this picture in your mind. Jesus is coming. Now, his, uh, his return is called the second coming, but seven years before the second coming, Jesus is going to take the bride, the church, into his presence. And we're going, to, we're going to be raptured out of this world. Now, if you're alive at the time of the rapture, your body, at the moment that Jesus comes for you, for the church, your body will be instantaneously transformed into the perfection of glory, just like the body of Jesus Christ. In that moment, you will be perfect. Say perfect. You're going to be perfect in health. You're going to be perfect in conduct, perfect in character, and perfect in beauty. All right? You're going to be, you're going to be perfect. Cuando Jesús venga por su iglesia, en el rapto de la iglesia, en un momento, cuando Él uh, venga, su cuerpo será transformado en gloria. Y usted en ese momento será hecho perfecto. Esa perfección será física, será espiritual, será su carácter, será su, uh, su um, belleza. Usted será perfecto en toda forma. On that day, you and I are going to be made conform to the glory of Christ. And, and if you have died before Jesus uh, returns for the church, then what? Si alguien murió antes que Jesús venga por la iglesia, entonces qué? Well, if you read... In, uh, and I'm not going to read it right now, but you can jot this down. 1 Thessalonians 4.16. If you read there, the Bible says that if you have died before Jesus returns for the church, that in the rapture of the church, he's going to raise up the dead. And the, the bodies of those who are dead are going to come to life. And they're going to have the same glory that Jesus has. And you and I... Uh, those who are alive on the earth at the time of the rapture and those who have already died but are re resurrected are going to rise to meet Jesus in the air. So the Bible tells us the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Now, have you ever missed a trip? Have you ever missed a ride? Well, guess what? If you're in Christ, you're not going to miss the ride, all right? Even if we've already buried you, when Jesus comes... The, listen to what the Bible says here. By the exertion of the power that is within him. Jesus is so powerful. Listen. Jesus is so powerful. Here's what he said. The day is coming when all who are in the tomb will hear my voice. So this is, 
This is a, a God that we serve. The Jesus that you and I serve is so powerful that the day is coming that when he shouts for the saints to rise, you and I are going to be transformed. The dead are going to rise and we're going to meet him in the air. Say amen, somebody. We're going into the presence of God and we're going to be going into that eternal glory uh, that God has prepared for us. We're going home. Now, that's what's next for the believer. And what's next for the non-believer, for the unbeliever, is that if you are not part of the rapture, you're going to remain in the earth, and there's coming a seven-year period of tribulation, a, a period of wrath in which God is going to pour out wrath on the earth, so devastating that one-third of the earth's population is going to be destroyed. It's going to be a time of complete uh, hell on earth. And so the, our, our hope for every person in this, in this church and every person listening is that you would know Jesus tonight so that you can be a part of the rapture of the church. Because uh, sometimes people ask me, Pastor, will I be able to get saved if I miss the rapture? And uh, here's the real simple answer, is that in the rapture, people's hearts are hardened against, after the rapture, I should say, people's hearts are hardened against God. And so it be very unlikely for Gentiles to turn their hearts to Jesus. So let me just put it to you like this. If you don't get saved in the day when God is pouring out his love and his grace and his mercy on you, it's very unlikely you're going you're gonna to get saved in the day when God is pouring out wrath on the earth. So the Bible says this, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Say amen, somebody. And if you have not made a commitment of your life to Jesus, I want you to do that uh, uh, soon. Do that tonight before you leave this church because you need Jesus as your Savior. Not just so you don't go to the tribulation. Not just so you don't go to hell. Not just so that you don't uh, experience the wrath of God. But you need Jesus as your Savior because Jesus is what makes life make sense. Jesus is what can turn your life into joy and peace and gladness. And walking with God is the greatest gift anyone could ever have. Say amen, somebody. So get to know Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord. Now that's what's coming next. But what now? What do we do about it? What are we going to do as believers in light of that? And here's where I, I want to bring before you seven commitments you need to make in light of the coming of Christ. Aquí quiero hacer siete, uh, quiero uh, compartir siete uh, compromisos, siete decisiones que usted necesita hacer en la luz de la venida de nuestro Señor Jesucristo. All right, the first one is this. You need to take responsibility for your life. La primera decisión o la primera uh, encomienda que le doy esta noche es que cada uno tiene que tomar responsabilidad por su vida. Say that with me tonight. Take responsibility. Listen, no one is responsible for getting you into heaven but you and Jesus. And if you want to live a life of faith, it's up to you to do that. The pastor can't do it for you. The deacons can't do it for you. The elders can't do it for you. You are responsible. Say, I'm responsible. Listen, we like to live, today America lives in a world where everything is somebody else's fault. If I do something good, it's my fault. If something bad happens to me, it's everybody else's fault. That's not how it works, is it? You and I have to take responsibility for our life. And here's, here's some areas I want you to think about. 
is that uh, you've got to take responsibility for your family. If, if you have a family, you're the one responsible for getting them to church, for getting them the word, for getting them to know uh, the, 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 the teachings of the faith. If you have a marriage, you're the one responsible for uh, t- praying in that marriage, for preserving unity in that marriage as the Spirit of God gives you the grace to do that. You and I are responsible for our church. As Kingsway Church, we are responsible for our church family, for one another. If we, some, if we see someone else discouraged, we need to take responsibility and say, I'm going to encourage them. I'm going to build them up. I'm going to strengthen them. We need to take responsibility for Beville. We need to say, if anybody goes to Beville, goes to hell from Beville, it's not going to happen during my lifetime. I'm going to pray. I'm going to fast. I'm going to seek the presence of God because I want people in Beville to get saved. That's the kind of believers we need in this generation who say, I'm going to take responsibility for my generation. The Bible says this about King David, that David uh, was raised up by God and he served his generation. La Escritura dice del Rey David que él sirvió su generación. And then he was gathered to his fathers. Y luego fue recogido a sus padres. So you don't have to take the responsibility to say until Jesus comes, I am going to work for the Lord. I'm going to witness. I'm going to worship. I'm going to live a life of faith until Jesus comes. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Listen, after the rapture of the church, for the believer, there's coming a judgment. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. And every single one of us is going to give an account for our life. You're not going to give an account for my life, okay? Don't worry about that. You don't have to tell God why my sermons were good or not good or why I, could, I couldn't sing what I sang anyway. You're not going to have to answer for that. All right, you're going to have to answer for you. Uh-oh, now it's quiet now, right? You're going to have to answer for you. For you. And the Bible said that we're going to be judged. Now, this judgment is not about going to heaven or hell, right? If you make it to the judgment seat of Christ, you're already in heaven. Right? Praise the Lord. I'm in. What's the judgment for? The judgment is a judgment of rewards. And it's at that judgment where God is going to give to every one of us the reward that we have that will represent the work we did for him in this life. There are five crowns that you can receive in that judgment. Now listen, you're responsible for that. Your work, your life, your deeds. The Bible said we're going to be judged by by our deeds, whether they were good or good for nothing. And the picture there is that our deeds are either good fruit or bad fruit. You know, there is some fruit that's good for nothing. If you let it spoil, if you let it too long, it's good for nothing. It has to be thrown out. And God is going to judge our works that are done for him by whether our motives were good or good for nothing. By whether we served him out of self-interest or out of the interest of his glory and his praise. So we need to take responsibility for that. And if you want next year to be a blessing, guess what? You're going to have to take responsibility for that too. You're going to walk into a new year in a, few, in a few weeks. And when that happens, you and I have to decide, I'm not just going to let life happen to me. I'm not just going to wake up and see, well, what happens today? No, you and I are children of God. We have the authority to set the pace and to, to determine what's going to happen in our life by the way that we live, by the way that we talk. And although there are circumstances that come into our life, those circumstances don't have to dictate how our life is going to go. We are responsible for that. We're responsible for the things we're doing for the kingdom of God. 
And so I want to encourage you tonight to take responsibility. Look at the gifts that are in your life. Look at what God has deposited in you and make it useful for the kingdom of God. I heard the story once about a young man. He, was, uh, he lived a rebellious young, uh, young man's life. And he lived uh, completely against God until his deathbed. And he died as a young man. And on his deathbed, he gave his life to Christ just a few hours before he died. And while he was uh, about to die, he said to the pastor who led him to Christ, he said, Pastor, I have, I have a regret. And his life was obviously full of regret. He said, my regret is that I'm about to meet Jesus and I'm going to have nothing to give him. I'm going to have nothing to set before him. He's talking about, I'm not going to have a crown. I'm not going to have a reward. And that's why you're going to want a reward because it'll be the only thing in heaven that you have to give to Jesus. And so he said, I have nothing to, to give to him. That pastor took those words in his heart and they really, they really convicted him, spoke to him. And so as a result, he wrote a hymn and the hymn became an anthem for one of the missionary movements in American history. That hymn was used by God to bring a lot of people into missions, which was used by God to bring a lot of people to Christ. So just think about how God can take even the last breath prayer of a young man and make it fruitful for his kingdom. And you and I have so much more to offer because we've given God more of our life than just our deathbed. We've given God more of our life, our time, our resources, and there's a reward that's coming uh, to the faithful, but we have to take responsibility for that. All right, number two, that is that you need to commit to church and to wise, uh, a wise fellowship. Uh, número dos, tenemos que comprometernos con la casa de Dios y con una, una coinonia o una comunión sabia. What is this, what am I talking about here? This is what the Bible says. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. It says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the habit of some, but encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You know what the Bible's telling us? It's telling us that as, as Jesus' return gets nearer, the earth and the world is going to get worse. And one of the things that's going to happen is that people are going to stop going to church. People are going to stop seeking God. They're going to stop seeking the face of God. Now, you and I might not necessarily see that because many times, uh, in particular, uh, in our experience here at, at Kingsway, the Lord is sending people all the time. So we're seeing people coming to church. But that's not the case in every church. Many of Most of America's churches are empty. The average church in America is less than 30 people. And so you have large buildings with very few people going to church. In, in Europe, it's even worse. In, in Europe, you have cathedrals full, uh, cathedrals that uh, could sit thousands with maybe 12 or 13 people on a Sunday morning. People's hearts have turned against the house of God. And so what does the Bible tell us? It tells us you... If you want to be ready for the come of Christ, and if you want to be successful in your Christian life, you need to commit to being in the house of God. You need to commit to going to church. I don't know why people ask me this question. If you're going to ask this question, don't ask a pastor, especially not this pastor. Don't ask, do I really need to go to church? <laughs> yes. You need to go to church. You need to be in the house of God. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the habit of some. Don't make church skipping your habit. 
Be in church. Listen, going to church can't save you. We know that. Going to church cannot bring you into heaven. You can go to church every day of your life and still go to hell if Jesus is not your Savior. But listen, it's going to be, it's going to be very hard to live an encouraged, strong Christian life without the body that God has put on the earth in order to support that growth and that maturity in your life. So you need to commit to church and you need to commit to wise fellowship. Get around church folks who know how to pray, who know how to believe God, and who can give you sound wisdom and sound counsel in your life. And I want to encourage you next year to decide. I'm going to be in church every single Sunday of the year. And I'm going to be in church every single Wednesday night of the year because I want to be hearing the word. Guess what? There are things in everyday life that require faith from us. They challenge our faith. And the only way you and I can have faith to endure those challenges in life is if we're hearing the word of God. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And if you're not hearing the word, then you're not going to be able to grow your faith. And when the enemy attacks, there won't be any strength there. That's why you need to be in the house of God. Now, I want to just add a little bit more of a layer to this uh, than, than, than just that, and that's this, that you need to commit to church, but you need to commit to a church. Say, a church. a church. Listen, one of the things we're seeing is, of course, that people are leaving the church, but another thing that's going to happen, and, and we're witnessing, is that people don't commit to a church. There's some people that attend church the way we attend restaurants. How do you choose a restaurant? You choose a restaurant based on what your flavor is that day, right? If you're feeling steak, you go to a steakhouse. You're feeling seafood, you go to seafood. You're feeling Italian, you go to Italian. If, if you are interested in fried chicken, you go to fried chicken. All right, that's the way we choose restaurants. That's not how you choose a church. So don't go to one church this Sunday and a different church that Sunday and another church that Sunday. What's happening there is you are breeding instability in your spiritual life. And you're breeding instability in the spiritual life of your family. And, and also, you're not, a, you're not being a very good witness to other people. Because other people see your life and they see that instability. And I, I want you to know that a tree cannot grow if you pull it out of the ground every week. And plant it in a different hole. Listen, if I plant a tree this week. And I said, you know, I don't like that spot. I'm going to go dig it up and plant it in another hole next week. And say, you know what, that spot over there was better. And I plug it up and bring it over here and throw it in this hole. That tree's never going to grow. That tree's never going to bear any fruit. Listen, if you look around Kingsway Church, you're going to see some massive trees bearing fruit. You know why? Because they have been rooted in the house of God for a very long time. And if, if you want to grow and become mature, you need to submit to one place where God is speaking. Now listen, this is why this is so important. Because every week at your church, God is speaking to you. Every week, God is putting food on your table that's for your life and for your family. And, and I, I want you to hear what God is saying. Many times, I'll be counseling somebody. And, and I know they weren't in church that week. And then the, the problem they're describing to me is exactly the thing God said on Sunday. But they didn't hear it because they weren't in the house of God. So you need to be in the house of God. You need to commit to a church so that there can be that growth and uh, development of your life and uh, of your family in the body of Christ. Say amen, somebody. Amen. Now, my, my father, 
Uh, my, he took my mother to church after their wedding. All right, you imagine this? The night of their wedding, they went to church first. That, mom wasn't very happy about that, but that's how, that's how it was. So you can imagine that we were going to be in church uh, when we were growing up. That was the way it was going to be. There was, no, there was no debate about that. And, and so I am committed to the local church because I know, I know what I've seen. And I have seen people who commit to church, who grow, and who become strong Christians. And I've seen people who don't, and they're flip-flopping their whole life. They're never amounting to much spiritually because they haven't committed to the house of God. Now, uh, you say, well, pastor, uh, what if, what if uh, I'm in the wrong church? What if I'm not growing? What if all those things uh, come up? And I understand that. But when you know where God has led you, you stay there. And, and if the Holy Spirit leads you out, be sure it's the Holy Spirit who's leading you out. And not Sister Juanita in the back room, right, saying, no, que esto, que lo otro, que este pastor. No, you don't listen to that. You be sure it's the Holy Spirit who's leading you out. Because I'll tell you what, tonight when you go home, you're going to walk in the front door of a house. It's your house. And you're going to sit at a table to eat maybe a snack, and it better be your table. Because if you walk into somebody else's house and eat at somebody else's table, you're an intruder. And you are, you don't, you're, you're somewhere you don't belong. You want to be somewhere where you know I belong. This is where I belong. This is where God put me. And where the food here belongs to me. And God's feeding my life. And I'm growing. And I'm taking responsibility for the family that God has put around me. Say amen, somebody. Amen. All right, I got to go quickly here. Number three is choose compassion over pride. Número tres. Tercer compromiso es escoger la compasión sobre el orgullo. Listen, as, as the approaching uh, coming of Christ, as the coming of Christ approaches uh, to our time, there's going to be something happening in the world, and that is that the world is going to grow increasingly less kind and less loving. The Bible said that because of the increase of wickedness, the love of many will wax cold. Dice la Escritura que por el crecimiento de la maldad, el amor de muchos se resfriará. You know, we're living in a world today that is unkind. And I, it, it breaks my heart to hear our politicians talk anymore. Because there is no kindness, either from the White House or the Congress. I don't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat. This is not how Christians talk. And this is not how a Christian nation talks. We need to restore into our culture the basic decency uh, and stop the name-calling and stop the, the criticizing. It's not God's will for us. And we need to choose compassion. I heard, I heard today politicians calling a man who's about to go to prison names. And I thought, what a world are we living in where we have, we have so degraded our public discourse that we can no longer show compassion even in the midst of a moment like that, our nation needs Jesus. And this is why. Because if we go down this course any long, any further, we are not going to have any, any resemblance of what America is about. We have to be a country that remembers that God prizes love and compassion over our pride and our political ideas and our way of thinking. Look at what James 5, 9 says. It says, do not complain. Say, do not complain. That's hard enough right there, that little one verse right there. Half, three, three words, that's hard enough. But listen, it says, do not complain, brethren. Who's God talking to here? The church. 
Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. God says, instead of complaining about other people, love them. Show them compassion. Pray for them. Build them up so that you won't be judged. Dice la Escritura que no estemos renegando del uno y del otro, sino que, uh, y, y que no los juzguemos para no ser juzgado. And then the verse says this, because the judge is standing right at the door. El juez está a la puerta. Here's a little picture I want you to think of. Think about two, two kindergartners in the room by himself playing. And one of them is being mean to the other. And they don't know that mama is behind the door. That's what God is saying. He's saying, you be kind to one another because the judge is right behind the door and he's about to come. And when he comes, he's coming to judge. He's coming to bring a recompense for the way that we have lived toward one another. God cares about how we treat one another. God cares about how we love one another. God cares about how a nation speaks to one another, and especially in the household of faith. So love, choose compassion over pride. You're going to have opportunities. Listen, there's going to be opportunities to be, to be mean, to be unkind. You just don't have to choose to take those opportunities. You, you can choose to be the person who shows love, who shows kindness, who shows the, the, the nature of Christ, because ultimately that is who we have been called by God to represent on the earth. We represent Christ. I heard the story once about a, a hippie that came into a church. And uh, this was a very traditional church. And he didn't, he'd never been to church before in his life. But he had just gotten converted. So he came to church and um, he didn't know any better. So he went and sat in the, in the altar on, on his, uh, you know, crisscross applesauce, Indian style, on the floor. And uh, now everybody in church is feeling awkward, right? Like, oh my goodness, we have this. This long-haired hippie over there sitting on the, on the floor. And uh, what do you do about that? Well, one of the deacons came down the aisle, and uh, he sat crisscross applesauce right next to him for the rest of the service so that he would, he would feel like he was a, a participant, like he belonged there. That's the nature of Christ. That's the heart of Christ. That's the love of Christ. And, and, and God says to love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. So these, this commandment is one that we have to, we have to stick to and, and commit to because we're living in a world that is incre increasingly given us another model. Number four is make up your mind. Say, make up your mind. How many of you know some seesaw people? I'm in, I'm out. I'm good, I'm bad. I'm right, I'm wrong. I'm happy, I'm sad. Come on. You know seesaw people? Say, make up your mind. Listen, if you're going to serve the Lord, serve the Lord. Listen, you cannot decide, I'm going to go to church because all my friends are going to church. And then when your friends stop going because they backslid, you decide, well, I'm going to backslide too. You're going you're gonna to go straight to hell with them. You've got to make up your mind. I'm going to serve the Lord. The old hymn says, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. 
Listen, if there were 12 people who started out with you and there's, you're the last one standing, just keep on going. Make up your mind. I'm going to serve the Lord. Look at what 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2 through 5 says. This is why we have to make up your mind. It says, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they deny its power, avoid such men as these. And then next chapter, chapter 4 and verse 3, it says, For a time will come when people will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will, not, and, and will turn aside to fables. Listen, when that's the culture we live in, and let me know if, if that's the culture we live in or not. Is that the culture we live in? Then if that's the culture you live in, you've got to make up your mind. I'm not going to go with the flow. I'm not going to live like everybody else. Listen. If you want to be like everybody else, then you have to take the kind of life that everybody else lives. But Jesus said there is a narrow way, and the narrow way leads to life. So if you want to get to heaven, get on the narrow way. Walk toward life. Do things God's way. Make up your mind. Say it like this. Look, their pastor may allow them to drink. Their pastor may allow them to smoke. Their pastor may allow them to hang out in the nightclubs on Saturday night and then act like a Christian on Sunday. But in our church, we're taught a different a faith, a different matter, a different doctrine. Come on, somebody. And you've got to decide, I am making up my mind. Though nobody else goes with me, I'm going to follow Jesus. Oh, my goodness. I don't know where pastor's coming from. I'm coming from the fact that we live in a culture that has lost its way. And the culture has invaded the church. You have to make up your mind. They might do that, but I don't. They might go there, but I don't. They do those things, but I don't. And teach your children that. You tell them, look, that's what they do. But in this house, we don't do that. If you carry this family name, this family name means something else. Because you're living in a world, listen... We're living right here, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents. Two things right here I want you to notice. Disobedience to parents and ungratefulness are signs of the last days. Are we living in the last days? We're right in the middle of it. And then Timothy says, and another sign will be this. People are going to look for teachers who will teach them what they want to hear. They're going to look for pastors who will tell them what they want to hear to tickle their ears. We call that ear candy. It's like cotton candy. It tastes real good, and then when you've done, it's gone. There's no meat. There's no substance. There's no life. You and I cannot afford to follow every wind of teaching and every wind of doctrine. So I want you to hear the word preached. I want you to hear podcasts. And I want you to hear sermons online, but be careful who you're listening to because they may not be drawing their cup out of the same stream. They may be polluting 
the water that they drink from. So be careful and make up your mind. I'm going to serve the Lord. And when you hear something that doesn't sound like the faith you've been taught, question it. Say, wait a minute, that doesn't sound right. Your Holy, the Holy Spirit within you will tell you, that's not right. That's not how we do this. Say amen, somebody. Amen. All right. Number five. Say, do something. This is number five. You've got to commit to doing something. Take action. Usted, número cinco, haga algo. Tell your neighbor, do something. Dile a su vecino, haz algo. Mi papá decía, ¿quieren estar diokis? Do something. You know how many, how many Christians are just going to sit on the front porch till Jesus comes? Jesus said, work while it is day. Because the night is coming when no one will be able to work. I read to you last week, the Bible said, Blessed is that servant whose master finds him working when he comes. I see, out on the farm, when you were working, you were, you were lifting up uh, bales of hay, and you didn't like what you were having to do, you could sit and take a break. And then if you saw a truck coming down the road, you said, okay, Grandpa's coming, right? Got to work. But Jesus ain't going to give you that kind of warning. So you got to be working. Take action. Listen, God has given you dreams. He's given you vision. He's given you desires. He's given you a dream for your family. He's put desires in your heart of what you can do for the kingdom of God, what you can do for your family. It requires you to do something. Don't just sit and wait. Don't just go round and round in circles to where you've memorized the circle. You've memorized the cycle. You've memorized the road. You've got to say, you know what? God has more for me than that. And break out of that cycle and, and work because there is so much potential that God has invested into every single person in your life. Look at what 1 Peter says. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, prepare your mind for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the coming of the Lord. Jesus Christ, or at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What is he saying there? He says, be active and wait for Jesus to come. Be anticipating that he's going to come. And so we have to work while uh, we can. We have to work with, this, with uh, uh, passion and with conviction. And, and that work, I shared with you what it was last week, the, the, the work of soul winning and the work of bringing people to Christ and discipling other people. That's the work that God has put into our hands. But there are other things that God wants you to be doing, that you can be doing even while you're working. In James chapter 2, verse 22, it says, You see that faith works with its works, and as a result of works, faith is perfected. Faith is perfected through our works, through our actions. Faith is perfected when we take a step, when we say, I believe God wants me to do this, and we don't. We don't know exactly what's going to happen. Maybe we don't even have the resources, but we take that step. And God honors that. And our faith is perfected through our work. Every great thing that's happened in your life, I promise you, is a result of having taken an action or making a decision and saying, you know what? I've got to do something. Listen, 
if you want to lose weight, you got to do something. Nobody said amen. Nobody said amen. You got to do something. If you want to gain weight, you got to do something. Say, Pastor, we don't want to do that. If you want to get a better house, a better car, an education, you're going to have to do something. Whatever dreams God has deposited into your life require action. And if you take the faith that God has put in your life and you put action behind it, there is so much power in order for you to be able to accomplish what God has designed your life to be. So make a decision. I'm going to take an action. I'm going to take a step of faith. I'm going to take a step in the direction of God's calling for my life. Let me just ask you this. What one thing can you, different, can you do differently toward the goal that God has put in your life? What one, one thing can you do? And I promise you, if you'll just do the little things, those little things where you decide, I'm going to do this little thing, you're taking action God is, is supporting that action with his, with his favor, with his grace, and with his power in your life. All right, I'll go quickly now. Number six, choose joy. Say, choose joy. Do you know that being happy and being joyful is your choice? I want you to say this with me. My happiness does not depend on anyone else. You believe that? Some people are unhappy because other people are unhappy. And or, or they've made a choice to be unhappy. Listen, you know, you might have gone by your window shopping, you see a dining room set you really like, and now you're unhappy about the one you have. fancy one. Christmas is coming. My whole family's coming over. And I can't afford that fancy one. Guess what? The table you have still holds stuff. But you know, you know how we decide to be happy based on things. And then we wake up, forgot about the dining room set, and we went on being happy. But look at that. That whole day you lost thinking about, I can't afford nothing. God's favor must not be on my life. I mean, I, I'm never going to prosper. I'm always going to be. You're making the decision right there. So you decide. I have the joy of the Spirit of God in my life. And I am what God says that I am. And so I'm going to be joyful. I'm going to be happy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. You make that decision every single day. Choose to smile. Choose to laugh. Choose to enjoy life. Laugh at yourself sometimes. It's really easy. Don't take yourself so seriously. Think about all the goodness that's in your life. You know what Proverbs says? Proverbs about the, thir uh, the uh, Proverbs 31 woman. Proverbs 31 verse 25. It says, strength and dignity are her clothing and she smiles at her future. You need to smile at your future. I'm smiling at my future. Because number one, Jesus is coming back like he said. 
And I'm smiling at my future because God said that I am the head and not the tail. That I will go above and not beneath. That I will have houses that I didn't build and wells that I didn't dig and vineyards that I didn't plant. Come on, somebody. I'm smiling at the future because I'm blessed going in and I'm blessed coming out. I'm blessed in the city and I'm blessed in the country. I'm blessed when I have and I'm blessed when I don't have. I am blessed. So I'm smiling at my future because God, listen. We, we said every Sunday, I prayed over you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to smile upon you. What does that mean? That means that God is glowing with the smile of heaven over your life. And he is ready to answer your prayers and to meet your needs. Come on, somebody. You can choose to be happy. Choose to be blessed. You can choose to live the life of joy. No one has to give you permission to be blessed. If somebody envies you, so what? If somebody criticizes you because you got a new car and they didn't, too bad. If somebody criticizes you because you started dressing better and dressing different, so what? Don't worry about other people. You don't need anyone else's permission to be blessed. God has decided to bless you. God has decided to smile upon you. You're his own child, his dear possession. And so you don't let this, the, the bitterness of some other people rob you of the joy of the Lord which is your strength. Number seven, here's the last one, perhaps the most important. Hold on. Say, hold on. Hold on. Listen, you're going to have to get a tight grip on Jesus. In the dark days that come to the world in the before the coming of Christ, you need to have a tight grip on what you believe. Hold on. This is what Revelation chapter 3 verse 11 says. It says, behold, Jesus speaking, I am coming quickly. Hold fast to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Persistence is an essential ingredient of faith. The Bible says this, he that endureth to the end shall receive the crown of life. God didn't call you to be a quitter. He called you to be a finisher. I heard once about a, a, uh, a, a man who was suffering from some paralysis who went into a marathon. And he was so far at the back that they had already shut down the thing when he got to the finish line. Uh, they were sweeping up the street when he finally got there. There was nobody there to cheer him on. Nobody there to write about him. Nobody there to say he finished, but he finished the race. That's all that God is looking for from us. He, you don't have to be in first place. You should want to be in first place, but you don't have to be in first place. You just have to be enduring until the end. God has designed you to finish. He has designed you to be able to endure. No test, no storm that you'll ever go through is greater than the God inside of you and than the plan that God has for your life. Your mistakes 
do not destroy God's plan for your life. And your circumstances do not alter God's plan for your life. And the hardships and the storms that come into your life do not change what God has decided about you. So endure. Hold fast unto the end. Because he that endureth unto the end will receive the crown of life. Get a tight grip on Jesus. Don't let go. You can let go of money. You can let go of fame. You can let go of fortune. You can let go of power or influence or friends. Don't let go of Jesus. You say, give me Jesus because he's the one that can give you the power to endure to the end. This is what the scripture says as I close. Set your eyes on Jesus. Glue your eyes to Jesus, the author and the finisher, the perfecter of your faith. He's the one that can give you the power to get across the finish line. And guess what? Here's what I believe. He doesn't just want you to cross the finish line. He wants you to cross the finish line smiling. Some of you have this idea you're going to get into heaven and you're just going to sit down and say, Whew, I'm just glad I made it. Not me, brother. I plan to come in with a smile on my face and say, look what the Lord has done. Come on. You and I have a God who's given us joy, unspeakable, and full of glory. We're not just going to be a just barely made it bride. You imagine the bride coming to the wedding with her wedding dress torn and her makeup running. No, she's coming in with glory and splendor because she is the bride of the Lamb, the bride of Christ. Endure. Today's test will lead to tomorrow's promotion. Stand fast. Hold to your place so that you don't look back and say, that's where I should have been. That's what I should have been doing. But somebody else took my place because I quit, because I gave up. No, you hold on to what God has given you. Because there is a crown of life, a, a reward for those who fear the Lord. Would you stand with me tonight? Let's make these commitments in your heart. Right where you are, just say, Lord, I commit to finishing what you have begun in my life. Would you just lift your hands to the Lord? If you need joy tonight, just let his joy fill your heart. If you need strength to endure, just ask for strength right now because the Bible tells us that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Maybe you have been struggling with taking action. Tonight he's pushing you like the wind in the sail to move you to a new place. Come on, just say, Lord, whatever you have for me in this coming year, I want to be in position to do it. I want to be faithful. And if this is the year when Jesus returns for the church, I want to be working when he comes. I want to be winning souls. I want to be witnessing. I want to be discipling a Christian, a new Christian. I want to be useful to the kingdom of God. Oh, Lord, we're so excited about that day. We anticipate with such joy the day when our eyes will see the king of glory. We anticipate with joy the day when our ears will hear the voice of the God who will exert his own power to raise the dead. And Lord, yet with all of that excitement, we're still excited about this life because we know that we will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living and that you have good things for us in store. Make us faithful. Make us watchful. 
watchful. Make us a people that are disciplined to do good works, to live in holiness, to honor sound doctrine, to hold on to the truth taught in the scriptures. Oh my, oh God, give us more of you. Give us Jesus.